Hey everybody, welcome to the Toowoomba Vineyard Church podcast. We are a brand new church here in Toowoomba, Queensland, and we are discovering the joy of following Jesus together. If you want to find out more about what we're up to, stick around at the end for the details. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so we're open up to Matthew. um, And what I want to do is I want to highlight, I guess, a problem that we, we face as Westerners if we take this book seriously. So let's start at the beginning. Let's I just want you to imagine for a moment that you've, like, forget everything you know about the Bible. Imagine you're reading this with fresh eyes. Like, you've just got literally no idea what's in this book. Um, And someone says, oh, you should read the Bible. You know, it it contains the answers to all of the big questions about life. Like, oh, cool. Okay, book of answers. I'm in for that. And they say, the first two-thirds will be very confusing. So start at the beginning of the New Testament. You're like, okay. So you open up to Matthew. And you start reading. And immediately you get a genealogy, which is like, oh, oh, it's one of these books. All right. Um, but then it gets really interesting. And there's all this stuff about the birth of Jesus. Um, there's the Magi, whoever they are, they visit Jesus. Oh, I think I remember this. This is something to do with Christmas, isn't it? This is the nativity thing. And then suddenly Jesus is traveling to Egypt as a refugee. You're like, oh, I didn't know the Bible had refugees. Um, this guy, John the Baptist, shows up. You're like, what's the deal with him? That's, I thought this was a book about Jesus, but we get John the Baptist. There's a bit of that. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. As an adult, he's baptized. He gets tempted in the wilderness. Uh, he starts um, you know, calling these disciples to him. And then we get this, at the end of Matthew 4, we get this really interesting passage starting from verse 24 which in this translation, this is a, called the Kingdom Translation, highly recommend it to you. It's only the New Testament, but it's very good. But uh, starting from verse 24 in chapter 4, it says, Word about him, that's Jesus, word about him went out around the whole of Syria. They brought to him all the people tormented with various kinds of diseases and ailments, demon-possessed people, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. This is a really interesting passage, and if you um, if you study it, what you'll find out is that this these these few verses here, these three verses, are kind of like a summary of the ministry of Jesus. And they, they pretty, you know, in the church in the West, we love to focus on the birth of Jesus and then the death of Jesus and the resurrection. And then we kind of forget about the ascension as well. But we sort of leave this big gap, which is actually what most of the Gospels are about, which is the ministry of Jesus. And if, if we call ourselves Christians, uh, if we want to be Christians, then that means we're effectively followers of Christ. And so we should want to live in the way that Jesus lived. So how did Jesus live? Well, This is a summary statement that effectively sums up how he lived, what he did with his life. And the way that theologians like to describe this, the ministry of Jesus, is this phrase, the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom of God. Or the way that in the vineyard we like to talk about it, it's show and tell. We love to tell people about the kingdom of God, 
about God making all things new, and we love to show them as well. And that's, that's effectively the summary of what Jesus did. So we've got a, a little slide, a little table here. Um, that I've put these in the wrong order, haven't I? This is what happens when I make slides late at night. No, go back. No dead birds yet. Uh, where is that slide? It's hiding. Another... another table? Yeah, there we go. That was supposed to be there. I put them in the wrong, yeah. the tables in the wrong order. But the proclamation, so when we talk about proclamations, as you read through, you'll find out about Jesus teaching in synagogues. We find out about Jesus teaching on the streets or the hillside, if you go to the very next verse from what we just read. Um, Jesus has a lot of encounters as he, as he goes. You know, most of Jesus' ministry happens on the way to places. Isn't that fascinating? It's a really good case for slowing down a little bit and actually engaging with life as it happens rather than rushing from place to place. Um, but he also teaches a lot in parables. And so the parables of Jesus are part of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. But it doesn't stop there because he also, as well as telling people about the kingdom, he shows them what the kingdom is like demonstration. Things, so the examples that we have in this passage, healing, deliverance, and prophetic ministry are some examples of how Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. He eats with sinners and tax collectors, in inverted commas. Uh, Jesus actually spends time with people that society deemed to be not worth spending time with. He confronted corrupt power structures, and particularly we see this, the way that he engaged with the religious system of the day he, he, he brought a real, um, very serious critique to the way that religious power structures worked. Um, and there's also other miracles that we get. For example, um, things like Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so the point is, as we read through the Gospels, what we get is basically this passage lived out the whole time. One other really significant example I, I can add to the demonstration is the way that he practiced discipleship. I think is a wonderful example of the kingdom, but that's probably a whole other talk, possibly a whole other series, but it's worth mentioning. Now, the reason that I started by saying that there's an awkward realization is there's actually kind of two awkward realizations that we have. If you're reading the Bible with fresh eyes, um, two awkward realizations you have. Um, The first one is that in the West, we love the proclamation stuff. We love talking about the kingdom of God a lot. But the problem is you can't just talk about it. You actually have to do something in response to this message of Jesus. And so awkward thing number one is we can't just proclaim. We have to do demonstration as well. The second thing is, I don't know about you, but the the kind of, bless you, the kind of everyday, you know, the idea of people just bringing, bringing themselves to Jesus, throwing them at his feet and him healing all of them. I don't, Often, I don't really have that experience every day of just people easily being healed um, and, and of all this supernatural stuff. And so we actually have to work out, if we're going to take the Bible seriously, what do we do with all of this supernatural ministry of Jesus? How, how are we going to engage with that? And so with that tension in mind, this kind of frames, we're doing this really short little series, just three weeks. It's called Demonstrating the Kingdom. And the goal is we're going to try and kill two birds with one stone, hence my dead birds before. No actual birds were harmed in the making of this series, by the way. Um, So the first bird is that we can't just talk about the kingdom. We actually have to do the stuff. And the second thing is, if we want to do the stuff in the book, we have to work out how the supernatural stuff fits in. Because there's all sorts of ways that Christians have, have dealt with that slightly awkward 
you know, inclusion of supernatural ministry. And so that's the series we're doing. It's called um, Demonstrating the Kingdom. Um, I also want to let you know that the way that I introduced this by kind of, you know, asking us to read the Bible with fresh eyes, that was very intentional because there's this bloke that we love in the vineyard. His name's John Wimber. You're doing very well with my out-of-order slides, Laura. This, this fellow here, John Wimber, um, I wish I had have had a chance to meet him, but he passed away before um, I was really aware of what was going on. Um, very sadly, John Wimber, he wasn't the founder of the vineyard movement. He was the guy that took it on very early on and made the vineyard what it is today. If you didn't know you're part of a vineyard church or you no, we're all part of, yeah, you're part of a vineyard church. And we're not pretending that we're like the, the movement that finally got it all right, but our vineyardness is actually very important to us. And the, I guess the founding story of the vineyard was this guy, John Wimber. He was a, a musician. He was part of a lounge act back when lounge music was really cool. Um, so it kind of shows, sh- sh- gives you a sense of the, t- the timeline of the vineyard. But he was, he was a musician who was part of a lounge act. He'd do these kind of like late night parties and, and do music for them at casinos and where, you know, wherever else. Absolutely no Christian context whatsoever. And through various circumstances, I, I emailed out a video that he shares his testimony a few weeks ago. If you haven't watched that, it's worth a watch. But through various circumstances, he came to own a Bible. And he did exactly what we just described before. He started reading the New Testament. And it was just like the lights went on. It's like mind blown. I can't believe what I'm reading. And he very quickly became a Christian. But then he started going to church. <laughs> and and he, he sort of like he read these stories about Jesus healing people and um, and setting people free from demons and, you know, giving these incredible words to people and, and dying on the cross and rising again and commissioning his followers. He read about the first Christians and the way they lived out their faith. And so he, that's what he expected when he went to church. But he got a very, very different experience. There's this fantastic quote. He talks about, um, you know, the first time we went to church at the end, he says to someone in the pews, oh, well, you know, when are we going to go and do the stuff? in the book. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I've read the Bible and like, we, we just had this service, but when are we going to go and do the stuff? And this person was just like, and then the response was, well, you don't, we don't need to do this stuff. We just need to believe that it was done once. And he was like, that's a very unsatisfying answer. And so what he did is he, he started a Bible study. He kept inviting people to this Bible study and all of his musician friends who were very, very not the kind of people you would find in a church on Sunday, they all started coming to church and they ruined the church. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are all these people showing up to church and all these people who've been part of this church for years and years going, what have you done to this place that I love? Why did you bring these people here? And his response was, well, we just read the Bible and we're just doing what it says. You know, I think the, the vineyard, there's so many different ways we can talk about the vineyard. We love to, we have, we've got this saying that the, the vineyard is caught, not taught. Like it's kind of hard to explain what the vineyard is, but when you've been around it for a while, it starts to feel like home. Um, I think the vineyard is caught and taught, but that's, that's a different hang up for a different talk. Um, but I think if you boil down if you boil it down to its very, very simple roots, for all of the different things that define our vineyardness, really, vineyard means, we, we ask the question, what if we took the Bible seriously? 
What if we actually took the Bible seriously and believed that you can live in the way that Jesus models to us? Um, and what, uh, what the vineyard did in its early days was it, it kind of addressed this cultural Christianity that was in, in the US where it was all about, you know, just coming to church and putting on your Sunday best and, and doing Christian things and saying Christian things and then going back to work on Monday and just going on as if nothing had happened. And Wimber really managed to tackle that with this, this just a new way of doing church and of doing Christian life that has come to affect people like me and Jen, and now all of you beautiful people. We have a slightly different set of problems today to the ones that Wimber came to tackle. Now, certainly, there is, there, cultural Christianity is, is still a thing, this kind of like Sunday, Sunday approach to faith. Um, it's declining very steadily. And when you look at the census stats, to be honest, they actually really excite me because the more that like this kind of nominal version of Christianity declines, I think the more that the church can actually rise up and do what it was meant to do. Um, and so it gives us a more exciting mission field. Um, so there's certainly that. But another, um, another problem that we often face is, um, you know, when churches discover the whole miracle thing and the whole supernatural thing, Rather than embracing it in a healthy way, you can actually go too far the other way and become obsessed with the supernatural and start, start focusing on that to the extent of, you know, start focusing so much on the gifts that you actually miss the giver. And so there's that problem as well. Um, and then yet another side of the uh, coin, if you can have a three-sided coin, um, is um, you can have churches that have a healthy practice of the supernatural, but when it comes to demonstrating the kingdom, they think that that's all that is. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the real reason that we're doing this series. It's actually a personal hang-up of mine. I've got a few of them, if you haven't noticed. Um, I, I actually did a series, a, a, um, a unit as part of my master's called Demonstrating the Kingdom. And I was so excited to do, like, study at an academic level how we go about demonstrating the kingdom in the way that Jesus did. And I was so excited and we spent 10 weeks, which is how long our trimesters are, looking at spiritual gifts. So it was just about practice, like an academic look at the supernatural practice of the kingdom. I was like, okay, what about all the other stuff? What about the power of testimony? What about social justice? You know, what about giving dignity to people? What about compassionate ministry? What about all of them? They're demonstrating the kingdom too. And so... Basically, the hope of this series is the longest intro ever. Um, <laughs> I was talking about the vineyard. I get so excited talking about the vineyard. I love our movement. Um, but so, yeah, so pretty much my hope with this series is that we can, for, number one, we can learn that it's not enough just to talk about the kingdom. We have to do something about it too. We have to demonstrate it as well. And secondly, that part of that is a healthy practice of the supernatural but that's not all there is to demonstrating the kingdom. And so the series outline, which is the first slide, which should have been like the fourth slide. Um, so we're going to do today, which from this point, we're going to mostly focus on kind of the why of the supernatural. There we go. So this is kind of like an overview week. Next week, we're going to talk about demonstrating the kingdom in terms of spiritual gifts. So we're going to look at how we actually go about practicing the supernatural and what's a healthy way to do that. Um, and then the last week is demonstrating the kingdom with all of the other stuff. And the cute names I've given them are Naturally Supernatural and Supernaturally Natural. So that's where we're heading for the next three weeks. And then we're going to have our big hurrah. We're going to all become solar panels and get commissioned. 
by Ergon, not by Ergon. Sorry for people on the podcast, there was some uh, context. Yeah, everyone show up in high vis. it's very important. <laughs> Gosh, we could like run way down the rabbit hole with that. And any newcomers will be like, who are these people? Um, all right, so let's, um, let's have a look at some scripture together as we try and figure out this demonstrating the kingdom thing. Where, if you're still in Matthew, just flip a few more pages to Matthew 9. And we're going to read a story together that, to me, really kind of sums up how we fit the supernatural into our practice as a church. So Matthew 9, starting from verse 1. Let me find it. All right. Jesus got into the boat and crossed back over to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, cheer up, my son, your sins are forgiven. This fellow is blaspheming, said some of the scribes to themselves. Jesus read their thoughts. How good is that translation? Jesus read their thoughts. Why let all this wickedness fester in your hearts, he said. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But to let you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he spoke to the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your bed and go home. He got up, went away to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were frightened and praised God for giving authority like this to humans. So let me give you my, my crisp version of what's just happened. So first of all, Jesus gets on a boat and he comes home. It's not exactly clear from context what home means because Jesus had a few different places he lived, uh, but it was probably somewhere around Galilee. So Jesus comes home and then he, no sooner does he get home, he starts teaching and this parade of people come up to him. Uh, one, of the, one of the little groups of people were a few friends who were there with this guy who's paralyzed on a, on a bed or a mat. And so presumably they carried him to Jesus. Now, something I find fascinating that happens next is it says here that Jesus saw their faith, like as in the, fr- the friends. It might, that might include the paralyzed man, it might not. But Jesus saw their faith and then went on to forgive and heal a paralyzed man. Significance of that, I don't know. If you have any insight into that, let me know. Just a fascinating thing to notice. Um, then the Pharisees start to grumble to themselves. And I think it's important to note there that the Pharisees aren't like questioning him out loud. The Pharisees and scribes are going, who does this guy think he is? And so then Jesus perceives their thoughts. I love, that's, uh, that's why I love that translation um, of that. Jesus perceives their thoughts and responds to what's going on in their heads, which is kind of crazy, but kind of awesome, and forgives the man's sins. Sorry, no, that happens the other way around. So Jesus sees their faith, forgives the man's sins. Pharisees grumble to themselves. Um, Jesus perceives their thoughts, and then his response is, um, okay, well, what's easier? Is it easy for me to forgive uh, this man's sins or to say, get up and walk? Up you get, and he walk, gets, gets up, walks out, and goes home. Last detail, which is so easy to read past, it's really interesting. It says they were frightened, but they praised God. Now, there are two important pieces of historical context I think will kind of unlock this passage for us a little bit and, and help us move forward in terms of this context of demonstrating the kingdom. The first thing is 
the relationship between Israel and sin. Now, in the church, when we talk about sin, it's all, almost always personal. It's about me and my personal failings. Usually only moral failings is how we think of it. And that's part of it. But for Israel, the idea of sin was actually much bigger than that. And there was this idea that as a nation, they were living in sin. They, they were failing to adhere to the law and the instructions that God had given them, which would allow them to have a relationship with God. And after hundreds, they, the Israelites, they'd come back from this exile. They were living in Jerusalem, which was their city, but they kept getting conquered by different nations. There were four different nations between the end of the Old Testament and the time of Jesus. Four different nations conquered and ruled over them. And finally, the last ones were the Romans, under whose rule they were living here. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of law, their whole thing was, we need to stick to the book. We need to stick to the law, not because we're mean and we want to be rude to people, but because as a nation, we don't want to be ruled by someone else. And so if we can just stick to the law, if we can just do what it says, then we can be free as a nation. And so if you take someone who's paralyzed, you you would look at them and say, well, either they're living in sin or their father or their grandfather or their great-grandfather, someone in the generational line, if not them, sinned. And as a result, this person is paralyzed. And so if you're a Pharisee who's trying to do the right thing by by your nation, getting everyone to stick to the laws, you look at this guy and you're like, you're ruining it for all of us. And so it's not just, oh, you're paralyzed, you poor bloke. It's like, what did you do? Fix it so that we can all get out of here. You know. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, I think we naturally just go, oh, well, Jesus is forgiving all the bad things the paralyzed man's done. And, and that's part of it. But also I think what's happening is Jesus is seeing deeper than that and he's going, your sin is your shame to your people. You know, it's actually kind of miraculous that this paralyzed man had any friends at all. Um, But when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he's saying, I see the shame that people put onto you because of your condition, and I release you from that. Isn't that profound? The second piece of historical context, I think, we'll come back to that in a moment. The second piece of historical context, briefly, is that we often imagine that when people came to Jesus, like they... They knew exactly who he was. They, they, they're like, oh, this is the son of God who's been say, sent to die and rise again. People had no idea about that. Because we're reading knowing the end of the story, it's so easy to read that into people's motivation and desire. But what, what I suspect, if, if, if you were this paralyzed man or his friends, you were like, there's this guy in town. We don't even know what his name is, but apparently he heals people. So let's go and let's see what happens. And so I, I think it's really interesting because Jesus, that doesn't seem to bother Jesus. People aren't coming, you know, there are cases where people come to him and say, you know, you're the son of God who's been sent. He's like, that's it. You got it. We don't have that in this story. He just, he just comes because he wants to be, or his friends just come because they want him to be healed. And so when we put it together, I think what, what happens here is Jesus is presented with this man who just, there's, there's no pre-existing relationship really. Jesus sees a man and there's got to be this moment of compassion, right? Like Jesus doesn't heal him because like, wow, look at me, I'm just going to show off. He sees a man and chooses to first deal with the problem behind the problem, which is the shame that's been put onto him 
by his people. But then he also deals with the physical condition as well. And so I think this is such a fascinating case study on the way that we practice supernatural in the church because Jesus sort of sees the bigger picture. He engages with the healing, but he also engages with the deeper, the problem behind the problem, which is the shame. He actually addresses both. And so with that in mind, I want to just give us a few thoughts to to ponder as we, we enter into this series demonstrating the kingdom. And the first one is just to point out the obvious, which is that supernatural is a really key part of the ministry of Jesus. Now, we can do a few different things with that. We can, we can go, well, okay, Jesus was the son of God. So presumably being God himself, he was able to heal people. I'm not the son of God in the same way. Uh, so I can't do the supernatural stuff. You just have to believe that it was done once. The problem with that is if you keep reading past the Gospels, you get to Acts and you find out that after Jesus went back to the Father, they kept doing the stuff. They kept doing the supernatural ministry. And so presumably, and so maybe you go, okay, well, that was just for the time, you know, the apostolic age, uh, which is what some people say, but we don't need that anymore because we have the Bible, which honestly is the most confusing thing to take because if you read the Bible, it says that you should do the stuff. And so there's, there's one verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that people often point to. Um, w- we can talk about that later. That's all right. There's actually a talk we did. It was like week three, maybe. I think uh, there's a podcast, if you want to listen, where we unpack that. Um, so, so you can go, well, it was just Jesus. Yeah, but the, the apostles kept doing it. Well, it was just for that age, but the book never said to stop. So you go, great, okay, well, let's do the miracles thing. And so another option is to just get really fixated on that and go, well, we're just going to do everything we can to practice the supernatural because that's so much cooler than just, you know, like feeding the homeless um, or, you know, uh, advocating for, you know, change in in oppressive power structures or whatever. So we're just going to do the supernatural stuff. I'm not sure that any of those, I mean, I'm obviously making fun of all of them. So I'm not sure if any of those really work. So... um, how do we practice the supernatural? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, before we get there, I think it's also important to say that, um, to recognize that the supernatural was both a draw card to Jesus and also a testimony to who he was and the things that he was saying. And it's important to say that because if we look at um, modern miracles movements today, like there are churches that are known for pushing into this stuff and seeing people healed. And people often kind of get a bit funny about, well, you know, should you be famous for, for doing that? Or, you know, is this just supposed to testify to a message that you have or some kind of theology that you're bringing back? The answer is both. You know, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, people came to him because he was healing people. They're like, we don't know who this guy is, but he heals people, so I want what he's having. But then also these miracles testify to the message that he was bringing about the kingdom, about God's return to being king once again. And so it's both of those things. The next thing to observe is that the physical miracle, it points to a deeper work. And this should be fairly obvious from the way that we unpacked it with a bit of cultural context. But one way to think of this story is that the, the, the physical healing was a tangible representation of the forgiveness and restored relationship that happened when the paralyzed man was forgiven. Something that is real, something I love to do is I love to observe 
different movements that have happened throughout church history. And one of the things you observe is there seem to be times where, like, you know, people will pray, and every time they pray, every time they invite the Holy Spirit, crazy stuff happens. People get healed. People start spontaneously speaking in tongues. You know, people fall over and cry and get set free, and it's just amazing. And then there are other times where you just kind of stand there. Now, I don't, I don't want to, like, say that I know the answer to why that's happening. Otherwise, you know, we'd have the largest church in Toowoomba and everyone would be coming and set free every week. Um, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. But one of the things that I observe is, is that these movements of God associated with the supernatural tend to be when the church rediscovers something that's really important that's been lost. So an example would be, um, to use our own movement as an example, one of the things that the vineyard did uh, was rediscover the, the kingdom of God as the center of all theology. And so Wimber started talking about the kingdom way before it was cool, by the way. Wimber started talking about the kingdom of God. They started serving the poor and they kind of rediscovered this everyone gets to play version of Christianity. And so I wonder whether the correlation there is that the miracles were flowing because God was trying to say there's something happening here and I, want you, I don't want you to miss it. The follow-on from that is rather than focusing just on doing the miracles, let's focus on the supernatural. Let's ask ourselves, what is God doing in our time and place? What is God doing here in Toowoomba right now that the church has lost? Let's, let's never stop praying for the miracles, but let's push into what God's doing in the big picture. And I wonder whether the supernatural stuff will just flow out. Ultimately, so this is the next thought. Ultimately, I think it's really important that we don't read past that final verse there where they were frightened, like they were, they were afraid, but they praised God. Because ultimately, so the language we often use for, for the supernatural, we talk about signs and wonders. And I think that word signs is a really good one to think about. Because if you're, if you're trying to, signs perform two functions. One, they let you know about something that you didn't know was there. And so if you're driving somewhere and you see a sign that says chocolate cottage this way, you're like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to go there. And so you go to the chocolate cottage and have delicious chocolate. The other thing that they do is they point you to somewhere where you're trying to go. So if you're trying to navigate to the airport uh, and, and you're driving and you're not using your GPS for whatever bizarre reason, uh, there's a sign that says the airport is this way. And you go, okay, great. I'm going to keep going that way. And I know that I'm on the right track because there are signs. So it must be, must be going in the right direction, do you stop at the sign and jump and celebrate? No, that would be ridiculous. The sign is pointing you towards where you're trying to go. And so when we're thinking about signs and wonders, they point us towards something. They point us towards Jesus. And so the end goal of all of the practice of the supernatural is that we are drawn towards God, is that, is that we get to celebrate him. And the final thing I, I think that's really important to say, and I've, I've sort of said this already, but it's just important to call out that the miraculous is not the only way that Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. So I want to show us one final table, um, which is the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom in Toowoomba in 2023. What does it, this actually look like for us in our context? Well, in terms of proclamation, I think that one's pretty easy because that's what the church tends to do, you know, unchecked. This is what we do all day. 
Um, we, we share our stories. We tell people about the ways that God has intervened in our lives and the way that our lives are better because of who he is. We tell people about Jesus. You know, when, when people become curious, when they're like, I see something in you, what is it? That's that open door. You go, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Um, we've got things that we love to do like Alpha Courses, which are a great way of, of helping proclaim the kingdom of God, tell people about the kingdom. Um, and then the final one, which is the one that seems to be our default mode of trying to grow the kingdom, which is bringing people to church. Feel free to bring your friends to church, but that's not the whole picture. What does the demonstration look like? Well, firstly, I think the obvious one when we, we're in a charismatic kind of setting is practicing the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. The second one is we engage in compassionate ministry, which is we, we go, who does our heart break for in our society and how do we love them? The third one is standing up to unjust structures. So what are the like, religious systems like in Jesus' day with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what are the religious systems that need, to, that need to die? And how can we stand up to them as a church family? And then the, fast, the, the final one is living questionable lives, which I'm going to point you to podcast 14 to 18. That was the surprise the world stuff we, we did, which is living in a way that people begin to ask questions, go, what's with you? That's a way we can demonstrate the kingdom as well. So that's kind of where we're heading for the next uh, few weeks. Why don't we stand and let's invite God to come. Wow, you made it to the end. Good job. If you want to listen to more of our messages, just search out Toowoomba Vineyard Church wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also check out our website at tvc.org.au and find us on Insta at Toowoomba Vineyard. We'll chuck those links in the notes so you don't have to remember. That's all for now and hope you have an excellent week.